Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What is happening, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 60. Somehow I made it to 60 episodes of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Risotto, and today we are joined by none other than a guy who's been in baseball for 30 years, former Cincinnati Reds pitching coach. It's Mac Jenkins. Mac, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so I really wanted to get someone in here that that knew pitching, and um, not to say that people that have come on in the past don't know pitching, but I don't think I've ever had a pitching coach's perspective uh, on the game. And uh, we've seen, I want to start it off right away here. We've seen six no hitters this season, yeah. Mac. And, and, you know, that's like one or two away from the, the single season, all time season high. And yeah. it's the end of May. So what is happening? Why is there six no hitters this year already? Well, two are against the Seattle who's hitting 200 as a team. Uh, and that take, I don't want to take anything away from the pitchers, but I just think, uh, the ability for the pitchers to plan has, is way ahead of the hitting right now. And I think, uh, to me, there's a lot of a confusion in the hitting community with like, you know, launch angle, hit the ball in the air and, you know, that's great, but man, there's a lot of times when a base hit to the opposite field will win a game, you know, or start a rally. And that's just the truth. And so I, I think that's probably why we've seen all the no hitters and, uh, and the guys that are good, all these major league starters are good pitchers, but they're not like, you know, you know, we didn't see Max Scherzer have one yet. So uh, those are probably coming. I wouldn't be surprised if we see double digit no hitters because a lot of them historically are thrown in September when the rosters expand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we haven't seen a cycle yet or <laughs> yeah. so that's interesting. Uh, so as a pitching coach and, you know, even as a player, when you're in the dugout and, you know, there is a no hitter or perfect game going on, what is the lingo? I mean, we were, we talked about this for a second off air. What is the lingo in terms of, do you say anything? Is it mentioned among coaches? Like, you know, Hey, we want to keep this guy in, even though he's at a hundred pitches, it's the seventh inning. What is kind of the, the mindset there when a guy has a no-hitter yeah. going on? It, I, I would say if there is a high pitch count involved, you, you have to – there is some discussion because there's long-term health involved, uh, and you always want to give that pitcher a chance to make history, especially in the major league level. Uh, you know, the Rays did it one year with Edwin Jackson. He ended up – he threw that no-hitter. I think he walked like eight. and uh, But, you know, he threw 150 pitches – around that you know but they just said all right we're going to give him a week off you know we're going to give him an extra two days rest so if it is a if it's a pitch count thing you talk about it with the manager but man once you get past that sixth inning then you're just like making eye contact no one wants to talk about it i know uh homer boat homer bailey threw two no hitters when i was in cincinnati and the first one man was a one nothing game it's aj burnett and homer bailey and it was like a whisper of hey man we need to get chapman up just playing catch, you know, not so anybody knows we're getting him ready, but in case he gives up a hit, you know, we might just take, take him out at that point. But, and it was just like, you know, he, uh, just play catch, like trying to hide it. So uh, no one knew that we were getting someone ready. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of managers do that. I know 
in 2012, Bruce Bochy had someone warm up during Matt Cain's perfect game, yeah. had him warm yeah. up in the tunnel. Uh, so that's definitely interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to get back to pitch count because, um, you know, it, it's anything over 100 is is looked at as criminal almost in this game. Right. And, um, you know, with the way these athletes are, you know, prepared and conditioned and train, is that even a necessary measure to take with some of these guys and the way they're built up for over a hundred pitches? Cause I can tell you some of these guys like a Max Scherzer, as you mentioned, could definitely throw 120 pitches in a start, maybe not for no. 35 games, but what is kind of your right. philosophy in terms of pitch count? Well, I tell you, Riz, it, it is, has become uh, media is a big part of being a manager in the major leagues. And, you know, you're criticized so heavily uh, when your pitcher say goes 115 or 120 pitches. Uh, even a couple of years ago, you know, the Nats won the world series in 2019 and opening day, the media was crushing Davey Martinez. Cause I think Scherzer went like 114 pitches uh, uh, opening day. Uh, so I think, Pitch counts, man. How somebody came up with a 100 is arbitrary. I have no idea. Um, I can tell you that in average major league start, even not just currently, but going back a few years back, is is less than six innings, uh, and it's gone down. You know, uh, each year it's gone down where you, the number of outs are recorded by the starter, and I really do think it comes from your expectation of your starter. And, um, you know, they do it in the minor leagues, you know, guys go four innings and they're out of the game or we saw it in the world series, Blake Snell came out of a historic start because he had turned the lineup over twice. And, um, you know, you may have guidelines that you live by, but if you have a trained eye, you know, you say, man, this might be a carry wood night. He might strike out 20. I've got to roll the, I got to roll with this. And, uh, you know, you can deal with the extra day's rest after that game. But I think if, if they leave Blake Snell in, you win the game. You push it to the next game. And, uh, you know, they chose not to do that. And uh, the rest is history. Yeah. So and I think the, the pitch count is all about an expectation. If I expect to go, you know, 60, 85 pitches, that's all I go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. So, and. Blake Snell was facing Mookie Betts for the third time. Well, he was supposed to face Mookie Betts for the third time, who was 0 for 2 with two strikeouts against him up until that point. And Mookie was hitting less against left-handed pitching than right-handed pitching for the season. So, you know, it it just – some things don't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely an interesting philosophy. So would you you say it's easier to pitch in today's game, you know, considering the amount of holes that guys have in their swings? You brought up launch angle – or is it a bit harder when, you know, everybody in the lineup now, everybody in the lineup is capable of hitting 15 and they could change the game with one swing. So is it, is it harder? Is it maybe the same? You just have to do a little things, some, some things differently. What, what's it, what would it be like pitching in today's game? I think that you just have to pitch a little bit differently because hitters one through nine can hit homers. Um, and so I don't think it's, I wouldn't say it's harder or easier. They're always hard, man. Major league hitters are good. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, the trend right now is hitters are down. But, man, those guys are good. And uh, I just think as long as you're prepared and you have to, if you're a starter, it's easier. <laughs> you go five innings and it's like high five, high five, get in the ice tub, you know. And uh, we bring in uh, the relievers and uh, different teams have different organizations, have different philosophies. But, 
to be a starter, it's easier. Uh, you know, this quality start has been a, a statistic that's used, and it's even used in like arbitration hearings. Uh, you know, six innings, three runs. Well, that's a four and a half ERA. That's you're below average, uh, but you're rewarded. But now it's like I think they'll probably change it to five innings and three runs. Uh, because that's today's expectation. So it's easier to be a starter. If you're a reliever, man, you're in there a lot. I know that because, uh, you know, those trends of starters are going down, relievers going up. And in the next two years, if it doesn't change, they're going to meet about the innings accumulated by starting pitching and relief pitching. It's kind of scary. I know it's a great back of the baseball card stat for sure, but do these pitchers in the big leagues really care about the wins? Do they do they at all look at that? Do you guys as a coaching staff look at that? The players care, I can tell you that, because wins are hard to come by, man, uh, especially if you're a starting pitcher. Uh, and I, I do get the argument that a win can be overrated. I saw a game the other day where I think Brad Boxberger pitched a third of an inning, and he got the win. The starter went four and two-thirds from Milwaukee, maybe, and he had a high pitch count. Boxberger gets out of a – uh, jam in the fifth, they pinch it for him and he gets the win. He threw three pitches. So I get the part where people say wins are overrated. Wins by starters are not overrated. And in their outlier times, you know, Drew Hutchinson one year won like 12 games and he had ERA or six for Toronto. So there's art, but those are like exceptions. The rule is if you got to start, it means you stayed in the game as a starter, you gave your team a chance to win. And that saying is, it could be people say oh, that's old school, man, that's just always the starter's job, you know, not the opener, but you know, the starters there to give you a chance to win the game. And, uh, you know, those wins are, I mean, they're hard to come by. If you break down an entire major league season, the difference between winners and losers is, is really less than a run per game. So getting a win is, is difficult. And uh, for starters, I think it's still an important statistic. Yeah. Just ask Jacob DeGrom with the Mets. <laughs> That's right, man. I mean, for whatever reason, they don't score when he's pitching and Not he's like the best pitcher in the game. He's the most dominant pitcher in the game. Yeah, absolutely. He's and, and pitching's evolved really, you know, probably since, since you began teaching it and you began playing it. Yeah. What do you think has evolved most in, you know, your coaching style? to keep up with kind of the trends because you know are you looking at numbers now are you looking at obviously mechanics is probably a constant while being a, a pitching instructor but what has yeah. kind of changed the most in terms of your approach well i think the thing that's probably changed the most with pitchers throwing harder now than they ever did is the conditioning and i think the pitching coach it's gone uh, different ways uh, when I first became a pitching coach the pitching coach was in charge of the conditioning you know then when it went to the strength coach and like it was hands off for the pitching coach and then it was decided you guys need to work together and now I, the conditioning has changed so much uh, for the better I think uh, as far as velocity goes for the better our I think our injury injury rate industry-wide is about the same uh, as it was 10 years ago with all the, you know, teams have physical therapists, they have acupuncturists, you know, everybody has two or three trainers now. But the biggest thing I think is working with the strength coach more and then working with your analytics team more to say, you know, this guy's two seam fastball is much better, more successful 
than his four seam. So maybe we need to change the ratio that he uses those in a game or to say, you know, do you think the analytics team tells me, do you think you can add some like, you know, side to side movement with his, with his slider, you know, instead of being so, you know, straight down, can you get any horizontal movement to make it better? Cause the numbers say he would be much better. And that's a challenge. And it, I think a lot of the, those guys are right a lot of times. And uh, so I think that's what the pitching coach is, you know, working with others uh, in the analytics department. And you mentioned the pitching mechanics. I think that, I think the uh, inception of high-speed video has changed uh, how we uh, talk about pitching mechanics. And maybe some things we did, even like you said, I started 30 years ago. Uh, some of those beliefs are proved not true by, by science and by, you know, these uh, people, you know, use the markers in labs to, uh, to show what muscles are firing when for pitchers. And uh, so working with those people is different. So, you know, but still you have to teach guys how to pitch, you know, strikes early in the count are good, you know, putting guys away when you're ahead, competing when you're behind. Those things are still really important. And a lot of pitchers, I think, are missing that now. But uh, we see all the dominant pitchers. A lot of them are getting it. Mm -hmm. So before starts, I want to ask you this. Before okay. starts, you know, that there's there's always so much talk about how, you know, catchers and the pitchers and the pitching coaches go over hitters. Uh -huh. What is that meeting actually like? Is it is it do you give information on the other hitters is it driven by the catcher is it driven by the pitcher who kind of takes control in those meetings well the pitching coach needs to take charge that's who takes charge and uh you know uh around 3 30 for a seven o'clock game the opposing team usually announces their lineup and so you know you know i've taken time to uh make notes on each hitter you know, and that, a lot of that came from, you know, say my research or the research from the analytics team. You know, you put the lineup in the catcher's locker and the good catchers like Tucker Barnhart, you know, uh, they come in early too and they might refresh their, their memory with some, you know, looking at some videos of the hitters or looking at the notes that were handed out at the beginning of the series. You know, same with the pitcher. And it's not generic. I think in the past it was generic notes for the starting pitcher, but now it's like notes based on what you do, you know, and what pitchers similar to you do in the major leagues, you know, with similar, similar velocity or similar spin, this is how they've gotten that hitter out. So, um, and when you go in those meetings, it is a pitching coach leads it, but when you get going, it's great when the, pitcher the catcher and the pitcher take over the meeting you're just kind of like trying to guide it in a certain direction because those guys have to buy in and they have to know what the plan is on each hitter man because you're facing the dodgers and you got seager and bellinger and you got these other hitters you you need to know what you're doing going into the game how am i going to get strike one with the bases loader loaded with with clay bellinger at the plate clay bellinger <laughs> that's his dad Corey. <laughs> Tells you how old I am. I know. I know Clay. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. No, uh, Bill Lasky came on this podcast as well. That's another one that came on, and he said the most important pitch in the game is is strike one. Uh, yeah. And I know you just brought that up. Um, now, kind of going off off the 
off of that here. When was the first time you heard spin rate? Like, what, do you remember a certain time when the first time you heard that term, spin rate? Well, I will tell you, this is a true story. The first time I heard it was when my, I have a daughter who was a really good pitcher, softball pitcher. And uh, man, so she graduated high school in 2012. Around 2009, she's going to a pitching coach in Clearwater, Florida, who had this ball that measured spin. Uh, the coach's name is Cindy Bristow, who's in the Softball Hall of Fame. So the first time I actually heard it was from her before all this like went crazy with baseball. And uh, she talked about spin. And I'll tell you what, Riz, I used to go to the ballpark and I would talk to other pitching coaches. I would go, how come we don't talk about spin? Because in softball, man, they're talking about spin all the time. How you make the ball rise, how you make the ball drop. They always talk about spin. And uh, so, I mean, when it came out, I was, I was all in because I loved it. And, you know, uh, the spin is on a ball is so important. Uh, you know, the, I get the best demonstration for me, your best example is four pitches thrown at 90 miles an hour by all six, what, six foot one right-handed pitchers. And they all have different spin, end up in different spots in the strike zone. You know, so that's how important uh, spin can be. And, you know, you can use spin rate as a coach to, especially with the fastball, to determine is my guy going to be better up in the zone or he's going to be better down in the zone with movement. And, uh, I mean, that's a way that I think helps pitchers evolve quicker. They don't, I think we shorten the learning curve with using like what each person's individual spin rate is. Yeah. And that the Astros and the Rays were really ahead of, ahead of their times when it comes to yeah. pitching and this kind of stuff. I, I know Garrett Cole went from Pittsburgh to Houston yeah. and they said, Hey, if you use this pitch more, you're going to be you yeah. know, more, more effective. Charlie Morton all of a sudden added <laughs> 98 to his repertoire. Uh, yeah. And he was throwing, you know, low nineties, high eighties and, He's a sinker ball guy. Um, speaking of sinker ball guys, does that still play in today's game with launch angle? Is is still, you know, is ground ball, do ground ball guys exist still? Well, is they do. And I'll tell you, like, I saw both of those guys pitching Pittsburgh, Cole and Morton. You know, that was just like, to me, like, this is going to be our philosophy. And we're going to, you know, throw all these sinkers. And everybody threw sinkers. A.J. Burnett, Cole, uh, Morton. And, you know, they had some success, but that is like, a, to me, like a, a flaw in coaching or your organizational deals. Like you need to take the player's strength in consideration all the time. And you're right, Cole, when he started using four seamers and throwing up in the zone and when Charlie Morton started airing it out, I mean, both these guys improved, you know, their performance improved. There's no question. It's not my opinion that the numbers, the statistics will verify that and think about i think sinker ballers today honestly uh you see some guys with some ridiculous movement now i think the thought of and teaching uh, a good sinker in the past it would be like hey we need to just get balls that go you know down and now we're seeing guys have such success with balls that just run horizontally and they're still called sinkers you know uh and the balls thrown with two seams do move down more than the four seam fastballs. 
but I th you see a lot of a lot of pitchers having success with just fastballs that run. You know, they're arm side runners to me, uh, and people swing and miss. Man, I watch it every night. I watch it on Pitching Ninja, yeah. and uh, you know, and it's just like I think the philosophy of throwing that pitch has changed a little bit. Where it's okay to have a whole lot of run. You know, you just try to match it up with your slider, you know, that might have a whole lot of Frisbee action. And that's what people do with the pitch tunneling now, you know. Uh, so I think sinker ballers do exist, but I think the emphasis on making your ball just go down like a true sinker is more now of a running fastball and people are having a lot of success with it. Yeah, and pitching ninja is awesome. I, when you said pitching ninja, I thought of uh, pitching ninja and, and sink. I thought of Blake Trinan. Two guys, oh my uh, he's on there all the time. Every pitch he looks, every pitch he throws, it looks like a wiffle ball. It's amazing. The the amount of movement he gets, that sinker he gets, you know, he and then he added that cutter now, and it's just like these balls explode, and he had a good breaking ball to go with it. So, I mean, he's he's unbelievable. And I saw him when he was with the Nationals. He was not even close to the pitcher mm -hmm. he is today if you just measure him by stuff-wise. I mean, he's ridiculous. Yeah, and it, and it tells you how much how trendy relievers are on the market mm -hmm. because he had a great he had a great year with the A's. He might have he been an all star. Then he was non tendered, <laughs> right? So, then he got a he got a you know ten million dollar deal with the with the uh, Dodgers to fix their bullpen. Uh, so it's pretty amazing. But yeah, that's a great point about the the Pirates and Glasnow was saying that you know it's the same program for every single guy over there, right? And and they were behind the curve. And he got to Tampa, he said, and he felt like he could be himself and pitch to his strengths. Right. Um, in terms of Colorado, I want to, I want to hit Colorado yeah. for a second. Uh, Cause it, I mean, it's a, it's a hitter's ballpark clearly with the altitude um, and, and great American ballpark. It's a hitter's ballpark too. It is. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, how do you develop pitching when you play in a ballpark that just flat out does not help you at all? I mean, Col uh, Colorado's tried many different, ways yeah. to do this they've tried uh, i'm trying to think of some names here off the top of my head jeff francis you know a ground ball guy like that they, they've tried mike um, hampton mike hampton the school Got systems big, are good over there. Deal there the school systems are good over there you know yeah. <laughs> um and then uh chassin is, is another guy yeah. i think of and you know and, and they haven't really gone with the power pitchers and you know i guess herman marquez and yeah. john gray are kind of fit that profile but how do you develop pitching and and just a, a place where and i guess even great american ballpark could fit this profile just a place where all the odds are against you well i'll say for colorado man i could tell you i had did uh, my first two years in the big leagues was assistant pitching coach then i was a couple of years as bullpen coach but i also did all the advanced work and man, I researched Colorado. Uh, there's a, a BATS system, it's called. It's like baseball analytics, something in there. But uh, <laughs> I just did all the home games for the Rockies. And you're looking at what pitches would work. And I did it over a period of time. And I was like, and what pitches work better on the road versus, you know, by the same, like, you took all the variables out. And uh, so I would always try to prepare that way when we went into play the Rockies. And we had some success, uh, I think more than other teams, by the way we pitched. And when you wrote a scouting report for Nolan Arenado or Blackman, you just did it on how they performed at home. You took away the road games and you just 
how they hit at home and how they piss at home is differently. How they hit with their strengths at home are different than they were on the road. And uh, we had some success. Uh, when you execute, you still have to execute. You have a good plan. You still have to execute. But, you know, I think a couple of years ago, the Rockies said, you know, we've missed the boat and we are going to try to sign guys who miss bats. You know, and they got uh, Gray and Hoffman, and I know Hoffman is now with Cincinnati, but uh, they just try to miss the bat because uh, the strikeout rates there are still about the same as the other as the other uh, ballparks, um, and some pitches just don't work as good there, and the sinker is one of them. Uh, you know, they tried high grass. You know, that outfield is so big there. There's, so there's different things there. But, you know, the great American, you give up a lot of cheap home runs, man. And, uh, you know, like uh, fan graphs and places, it'll show you that uh, this this home run was a home run in Cincinnati and New York and Colorado, and that's it. The other ballparks, it was not. Uh, so it is. Your mistakes really get uh, amplified there. Uh, in Cincinnati, I'd say you give up a we would call them front row Joes. You give up a whole lot of front row Joe homers, man. And the same thing. I think you just have to pitch your game. You know, in 2012, uh, I was part of that team. It went to the playoffs. We lost to the Giants. You know that. Uh, but the thing was, the staff was so good, man. The staff was excellent. They set franchise records, and this is a franchise that was in the World Series in '76, '77. Uh, won those games 72, 75. You know, we set franchise records for strikeouts for innings by starting pitchers. And, uh, and starters pitched 161 games, the same five guys. And I think it is just like, you just have to put that out of your mind and pitch your game, you know. And one thing I will say, the bullpen of Chapman, Sean Marshall, Jonathan Broxton, they by far led the league in strikeouts. So, they missed a whole lot of bats, and that, that matters. Logan Andrusik was in there in his heyday, Hoover. You know, so it's a lot of guys who struck people out, and the strikeout rates for that bullpen were incredible. Oh, no, absolutely. And I'm in, I'm in San Francisco right now, so naturally I, I watch a lot of Giants games, and I remember that series well. And yeah, one guy that – Me too. Cost yeah. me a lot of money. <laughs> and one guy that, that would have played a huge part in that series is Johnny Cueto – and yep. I think I think the Reds would have won that series if Cueto had started. Yeah, um, I, I think for sure, man. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he, with, had, he had an oblique. He, I don't know if he faced like one hitter, two hitters. But, uh, yeah, he was out with that oblique. And, and Latos uh, was the guy that came in after, huh? Yeah, we, uh, we used the bullpen to pitch the first and second inning, and then we brought Latos in in the third inning so that he could have time to go through his normal – like starters routine, get stretched by the trainer, you know, uh, go out in the bullpen and get as many pitches as he needed, uh, like it was a normal start. And we just told him, hey, your start just is going to begin in the third inning. Latos, not a beloved guy in San Francisco, mm-hmm. by the way. <laughs> no, I don't know where he is beloved. <laughs> uh, he, he just looks like a – I mean, he was such a villain because he pitched in with the Padres, came up yeah. in 2010, and – you know, during that dramatic, it came down to 162 between those two teams. Yeah. And uh, Latos signed a ball that said, I hate SF. 
and then gave remember. it to a fan. And yeah, and he's also thrown a ball over because the parking lot's beyond the bleachers in left field. Right. He threw a ball over and it broke a sunroof of one of the broadcasters. I, so. I, I remember. I heard all about it. Yes, Latos, interesting guy. Uh, back to Cueto here. Cueto's a fun guy to watch pitch. And he even, is. He's, yeah. he's my favorite. Is he? Why? Well, the I guess the reason is, you know, I was a pitching coordinator when he, he was in the 18-year-old uh, in the Dominican Republic. You know, he got a tryout on the side of the road. Uh, and the scout offered him 10 grand to sign. And there's like, okay. And he has been awesome ever since. He came over to the States, uh, 20, man, oh, I can't remember right now, 2006, maybe, 2007. And uh, I can remember he pitched a, a year in the uh, in rookie league. And uh, I like told the general manager and the farm director, he's going to go to, to uh, you know, uh, Dayton the next year. And they're like, oh, he's not ready. I'm like, I'm like, this is the best guy we have. He's ready. So then he went to Dayton as either 18 or 19 year old. And, it, you know, by the halfway point, he was promoted to the Florida State League. And uh, I mean, the next thing you know, he's in the big leagues. He makes his debut in Arizona. Brian Price was a pitching coach. I think he struck out 12 that day. And uh, somewhere in there, you know, uh, uh, Brian is, uh, Brian and I were talking and he's like, I need him to stay close a little longer. And I got this idea to add the little turn, right? And so the rest of it, man, Johnny just went with all the gyrations and he did it like that from one side day to like his next game where he, you know, did the, the over rotation and the pitch. And then the next thing you know, he's hesitating and it just seemed to grow. And uh, he's fun to watch because he's an incredible competitor. I mean, incredible. And his preparation, he works so hard the four days in between. And he's like, oh, I can't wait till Saturday, you know, because he's going to get the pitch that day. And uh, his assortment of pitches is fun. I, I enjoy being around him. So you came up with the turn. <laughs> I did. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and it's he, he seems like he has so much fun playing the game. And he uh, does. That's for sure. And even if you follow him on social media, I mean, the guy's amazing. Like if you, if you look at his pictures with the farm and the horses, yep. I mean, it's just like, it, it, he's somebody you want to be <laughs> if you could trade play. I mean, and he's also somebody that needs a TV show. I mean, and it would be worth it to watch it. So. Hey man, he's really funny and he's really great for young Latin players because he pushes them. Yeah. He pushes them. You know, he knows, he tells them this is going to be harder for us. You know, we gotta, we gotta go. We, we, we can't do anything stupid. Let's, and he's hard on them in a good way. You know, like it's like a father uh, to him and uh, he helps everybody around him get better. Yeah. He he's, he's definitely uh, one of the, one of the fun guys to watch. Um, and there's also some success coming from uh, some of those, those pitchers that have recently pitched at great American ballpark uh, Anthony DiScalfani, I know you know him a little bit. Yeah. Um, he's a guy who, you know, had a rough, rough outing against the Dodgers on Saturday, but he was, he was, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he got, he got roughed up a little bit. I think they, the Dodgers touched him for 
10 earned runs. Gavin Lux hit the grand slam. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, he has like a, a, a sub two, maybe it was sub two, two yeah. ERA. Uh, so what kind of changes for him uh, and, and even a guy like him who struggled in Cincinnati, but comes over to a more kind of a, a hitter friendly or a sorry, pitcher friendly ballpark. What is kind of the difference? Yeah. Cause you could leave the, you could leave the ball up a little bit. You could pitch up in the strike zone a bit more. So what is what is kind of what if what have you seen from Dee Sclafani and other guys well, that made the transition? Uh, oh yeah, uh, well Disco is a great competitor. Disco, yeah. And uh, you know he came up. He Reds got him from the Blue Jays, and you know he, he came to the big leagues and he he threw a ton of strikes, which is you know put you, I mean put you in a good place to succeed. And it was mostly fastball slider, and he had a tough time with the changeup. And he accepted, I'm going to throw a curveball. And the curveball made a world of difference, you know, and he had a little, some injury issues. Uh, and I always in Cincinnati, uh, you know, his arm action kind of shortened up a little bit. Uh, I was really happy to see him sign that com- uh, contract with the Giants because it is a little more pitcher friendly. And I think he goes out there with, uh, you know, fresh, uh, fresh set of eyes. And uh, I think, man, as long as he stays healthy, he and Queto, they they're like great competitors and they'll rub off on the guys that are around them. That when it's my turn to pitch, you know, you all I want, I used to tell the guys, all I want is all you got. And those are two of the best they given all they had there that that day. Yeah, the Giants have a ton of ro- uh, rotation arms that are former Cincinnati Reds, Queto, Wood, Gosman, you know, <laughs> Disclafani. Oh, Gosman, man, that was a good sign for the Giants right there. Yeah. Yeah, he's got. I looked at the. Uh, they do a um, baseball savant has a thing called pitch value, and okay. I think two of his pitches are top six in baseball: fast, okay. forcing fastball, and splitter. So yeah, the splitter is ridiculous. Yeah, I love baseball savant. A lot of good information on there. Yeah, there's a lot of great information on there for you sure. You know what, man? He's he's good at. Uh, he was good in that division, Cincinnati. He had some injury problems, but. Uh... I was, I'm glad to see him go out there. He's a good guy. He pits at Georgia Tech. I like I like how he throws the ball. Yeah, back foot slider has been yeah. one of the best pitches as well. Yeah. Um, so I know I know you still work. Do you still work with pitchers? What's what's kind of your status now? I know you're out of professional baseball, but do you still work with with guys on the side? Um, I do. I, I have a couple of places here in Cary that I work, and uh, I work from guys from minor league players. To college players, high school, middle school kids, uh, and now uh, next week, I'm starting a, a gig with uh, Major League Baseball, I guess slash USA Baseball. It's a, an, an elite prospect league that's all college freshmen and sophomores, and I, uh, it's the old Appalachian League. So uh, we start, uh, we embark on a 54 game schedule on June 3rd. And I'm uh, assigned to the Greenville Flyboys, and uh, I can't wait to get there. It should be fun. Uh, the league will be littered with uh, all the guys that are there are considered uh, top prospects to be drafted in 2022 or 2023. Uh, so it's scouted heavily by Major League Baseball. USA Baseball is in charge of the development. Uh, there's a lot of good managers in the league, uh, former players, uh, longtime scouts. Uh, same thing with the, some of the pitching coaches as well. Should be a great league, and I'm looking forward to it. So, what is the first time? What is the first thing that you 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 tell pitchers when you see them? 
Is there any like mental notes that you give them? Is it motivation? What is the first, th first thing that you would say? Or would it depend on the kid? I would say a great question. If I'm addressing the club for the first time, I will tell them that uh, I'm here for them uh, to succeed. So I'm going to give you all I got and I expect you to give me all you got uh, every day. And, you know, that goes. Uh, so I'm going to work my ass off to make you better. And I expect you to work your ass off as well. Uh, you know, I, I think I for these younger kids, you have to teach them accountability and responsibility. And I think these guys will, uh, they're learning from a former major league coach. Uh, you know, I got about eight, eight years experience there to know like what it takes to prepare, you know, what it is to mean to compete. Uh, and they'll get a lot of things that they haven't, have not gotten from other people. Uh, it'll be a, a good, uh, unique perspective for all the guys that I get to work with. Awesome. And are you hoping something bigger comes out of it for you? Well, uh, that would be good. You know, uh, I get there and uh, like I said, the league will be scouted by all 30 teams. And, uh, you know, if nothing comes out of it for me, I know that the 20 kids on my team will get and get a hell of a lot better come August 8th than they were when they get there on June 2nd. There you go. Mac, I appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun. Riz, thank you, man. I enjoyed it. I really did. It's awesome. You're welcome on anytime and we could talk. Oh uh, yeah. Talk Bring me back there. anytime. We'll talk Greenville Flyboys next time if you want. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'll send you a t-shirt, the Flyboys. Flyboys. I'll check it out for sure. Uh, right. You guys can follow the podcast on Twitter and Insta Instagram at RizzoCast. Um, and uh, Mac, you're on Twitter, right? I am. MacJink57, I believe. Yeah, go follow, go follow him. Uh, he will be back in the game for sure because this USA baseball team is going to come through for themselves oh, yeah. and for their, their excellent pitching coach. And we got Homer Bailey on the team representing the Reds too. Homer for Bailey's on the team. Oh, is it yeah. that team? Yeah. What's he's that? On yeah, the, it's the one with Todd Frazier and Matt. Todd Frazier. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I did see that then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Who's managing that team? Uh, Mike Sosha. Mike Sosha. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I did. I did see the the statement about that, and I saw some interviews. So that's awesome. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, I'm sure it's right, going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and you guys could, of course, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching, and have a great day.